Hey, everybody. It is Eric and Luke. Luke and Eric, we are here in Bible Banter. What's up, guys? Yes, yes. Welcome to the show. We appreciate that Eric brought back his 90s DJ voice today. And hey, hey, hey. Turn to 90.7. <laughs> we do hope that you will follow us uh, on Facebook. Uh, review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Make sure it's an honest five-star review. And also... Get some extra goodies by subscribing on Patreon and becoming part of the Blinker Club. We do have a, I don't know if it's an exciting announcement, but an announcement to make about. We have a few. Actually, I forgot about this. We have a few exciting announcements. Oh, all right. Well, you make yours first. Okay. So this is either Thursday or Saturday will be your last podcast for three weeks. That's true. You're taking a vacation. Yeah. And so so, Luke, Luke's church is, uh, I mean, gives him three weeks off. So they are uh, a year. So they are giving him. Well, they, they, they technically give me two and a half, but if you swing it the right way and, and work uh, quite a, you know, move your work days around, you can squeeze in. I'm only going to be gone two Sundays. So, so who do you, Oh, you got a bunch of pastors in your congregation. So you have them preach. Normally I would, unfortunately, they're all in the at-risk groups, so none of them oh. are available. Thankfully, I live in a town with nine Advent Christian churches, so it's not hard to find a sub. So uh, have you guys – because some churches have gone back outdoors since the spike in COVID in North Carolina. You guys have decided that you want to see people die? Is that it? My goodness. So we have a sanctuary that seats 150. We've not had more than 40 people show up. Uh, we're we're not terribly concerned considering you're not going to get within 10 feet of anybody. That's good. Uh, also, also, I can confirm that we do not care about human life. So you you are you are right. You pinned us. That would, that would be the atheist mantra. I mean, you really. Uh, I saw. I think Babylon B or someone else uh, may have posted like an article that said, uh, "Popular atheist says all lives don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no lives matter." <laughs> <laughs> and i mean honestly if you have an atheistic worldview then yeah i mean lives don't matter did do did you follow at all the string of debates between doug wilson and um hitchens christopher hitchens from a few years back no. they are fantastic uh doug and i don't agree on everything but yeah he like he likes to give infants communion did you know that he he, he has some interesting views on new covenant stuff however yeah. He definitely preaches the gospel, so he's a brother in the Lord. Sure. And and I will tell you, I I so I love apologetics, so I've listened to lots of Christian versus atheist debates. Um, Doug communicates more simply and clearly than anyone that I've encountered uh, the complete moral abyss of atheism. And he absolutely, in my view, obviously, whenever you listen to a debate, you think your guy won. Yeah, but, yeah. I've but, never heard. There was only one time that I heard a guy on my side lose a debate. <laughs> so, but but really, he um and, and and credit to Hitchens, who obviously has passed away a few years back. Um, credit to Hitchens for being very honest, uh, because Doug absolutely pins him to the wall on the moral issue and. Hitchens um, uh, admirably does not weasel his way out of the reality that there there simply is no moral standard from an atheistic uh, naturalist worldview. 
but you should you should check out the the any either any of the debates between Wilson and Hitchens. I, I know there's lots of Christian atheist debates that are a waste of time. That this these particular ones are not. They're they're great. Yeah, I find most debates to be a waste of time if they're not done charitably. Yes. Yeah, and that's the other exception here is um, I think that both parties in these particular debates do a good job of, for the most part, uh, accurately presenting the other side, especially mm-hmm. Wilson. Like, yeah. Doug doesn't say really say anything that Hitchens would would disagree with. He just points out the 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 inevitable conclusion of, yeah. of all of all all of uh, Hitchens' assumptions within his worldview. It's great. Yeah, so I don't know how we got onto that, but this is going to be your last, <laughs> the last week on Bible Banter for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, so, I, I, uh, I remember how we got here. Why don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm going back to Massachusetts for a week next, next month, and I'm hoping, I was trying to find someone to fill in for now, me Mike, on one of those Sundays. Mike, and has, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, instead, I'm just going to cut my vacation short so I can preach. Um, so now Mike has perfect timing because what's going to be happening while I'm gone, Eric, uh, we have guest hosts and I asked Mike to come on the podcast and he hasn't gotten, he said, maybe I think one of the, one of the episodes next week. So I'm, I'm working, I'm working on Mike. I thought Um, your guest host was Mike. Did I misunderstand? He, he said, uh, he has something going on next week. I don't know what it is, but he said he might be able to re- rearrange his calendar. So Mike, we'll see. Mike, get it together. Whatever you have, cancel it because Bible banter is happening. Get your yeah. priorities straight. Yeah. But you, what you if I, he's taking one of his three weeks of vacation? What are you going to say to that? Now, you have um, one guest in particular that I am furious that I'm missing, but just thrilled that he's coming on. Do you, are you ready to announce that or do you want to wait? I am thrilled that you're going to miss it. So now I have him all to myself. So we're going to have uh, the very popular Chris Date. Chris Date is an apologist, uh, particularly a conditional immortality apologist, a Calvinistic apologist. He essentially checks every theological box that I have, um, and he apologizes. He he is a a tremendous defender of the faith and all those positions. So it's really going to be great, and he's very charitable, very winsome. He's the exact opposite of I of of myself in that regard. So he it should be a great show probably the best ever not only because we're gonna have chris date but also because luke's not gonna be here <laughs> <laughs> now um i i disagree with, with a lot of what brian has to say but i think his comment is hilarious <laughs> wait you did not ag- what brian just said you did not say last time we got together sure sure i did don't you did not say there was a hierarchy within the Trinity. I said there may or may not be. I said we can't say with any clarity. And then do you not remember threatening that it would be my last show? I don't. I can't remember these. <laughs> we had to purchase a new car this week because our last car broke down. So it's been it's been a crazy week. Oh, Bickford accusing you of partial preterism. I, I, I don't know. When it come when it comes to those things, Nathaniel uh, prophecy and whatnot, I am um a free agent, so to speak. I'm, I'm, I'm searching all of those things. One thing I know I am not is a uh, pre-trib, uh, pre-mill dispensationalist. <laughs> that is for sure. So I, I went to Bible college, and that's oh. their position. So, and, and I definitely did not fall in that camp. 
Are you a pan millennialist, Eric? Pan Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know, man. No, no, I'm not a pan millennialist. It'll all pan out. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Hold up. Since, since uh, we don't want to get too derailed here, but if Bickford really not seeing any comments. Oh, that's interesting. I see comments. Uh, it's probably the issue that we talked about before we got on the show. So oh. this is going to be the last episode where we are simulcasting on, on the Advent Christian page and the, um, Bible banter page. So we're yeah. only going to be doing Advent Christian voices page from now on because of the concern, you know, it's just difficult. If you, if you comment in one place, it doesn't show up in the other. We see it on our end, but the audience doesn't see it. So yeah. we're going to change that moving forward. Um, instead of doing it in both places. So yeah, sorry, yeah. Palma. If you want to stop real quick and then watch us on on Advent Christian Voices, feel free to do so. You're probably not going to miss any, anything. Maybe. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll continue to post every episode onto the Bible Banter page after uh, we're done. But we, we we just discovered this problem last week that when we simulcast to both places, it ends up with two different comment sections. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why that's happening. Um, real quick, just because Bickford. Uh, uh, Want, wants to pick a bit of a fight, I will say, uh, at least for the time being, I consider myself a partial preterist. So if you want to have that argument with me, I'm happy to. See, I just feel uncomfortable saying preterist because it sounds like predator. And I either have like child predator in my mind or the alien predator. <laughs> so, so that's what I think of. So no matter what, even if I become convinced of Partial preterism. I'm probably not going to use that term because I think of those two things. We, we should clarify too the um, gaping, the 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 vast abyss of theology between partial preterism and preterism. Because the first time I heard of, I heard of partial preterism, I looked at preterism and I was like, "This is heresy." <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I realized that partial preterists and preterists have fundamentally different views of eschatology. Yeah, and. I really don't want to get into this. I'd really big for bringing up this stuff. Um, we're not, and, we're then, not and then Brian bringing up how you're a closet heretic. I mean, this is just, this is crazy. And big for dropping heat. <laughs> I'll tell you who won't be guest hosting in the guest hosting in the next three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Luke has been begging to try to get Nathaniel um, Bickford on the podcast. I keep telling him no because it's going to make <laughs> us both look so stupid. <laughs> um, uh, what was were they? Uh, excuse me. Let me try to make words again. Are there any other announcements you needed to make before I make mine? Uh, I would, I would, I'd like to just share with the audience how much I appreciate you, Luke, and I'm actually going to miss you in the next three weeks. So, um, this show I think has brought you and I together as, as, as good friends before we were just kind of acquaintances. And now I feel like we are truly good friends. And, um, you, you some, you sometimes like text me late at night to tell me that you're, that, you know, you're lonely and I have to comfort you. So, um, that's how close we've gotten. And, and I'll call you and I'll say, Luke, it's okay. So. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, Luke, you've been great, man. I've been, I've been working. I, I finished a, a manuscript on, on another book and Luke has been ruthless in editing it for me along with Bickford. And they have been a tremendous help to me. So thank you for, um, for that gift. Yeah. Well, I look forward to the day when I eventually get around to writing a book because I know I'll get at least as much as I gave, if not more. Uh, <laughs> Probably not from me. 
not a, I'm not an English like I, I the things that you guys are able to do. I mean, I just don't pick up on those things. You guys are great. It's a talent. Well, I'm 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 glad it's it's been helpful to you. I've I've enjoyed doing it. It's it's been edifying to me editing your stuff. Um, the quick announcement for me is we are changing the name of the show from here on, henceforth, and forevermore. We will be known as Bible and Banter, or uh, Banter and Bible, or Banter and Oh, is that what you want to do? Banter and Bible? No, no, Bible and Banter is fine. Okay, there some combination of those three words. Uh, and <laughs> Bible banter and and Bible banter. <laughs> uh, it'll either be Bible and banter or banter and Bible. Uh, I thought we had decided before the show, but apparently not. So Eric and I will reconvene to get back to you. We do. This is a show that we do as like as an off time activity. This is a hobby of ours, so we don't put a lot of time and effort into it. <laughs> So as, as it's plainly showing, um, um, clearly showing, but it was, it was just brought to our attention by uh, one of, one of our mentors, someone we respect very much that the title Bible banter sort of gives the uh, impression or the connotation that we take the Bible lightly. When in fact, what happens is we have uh, time during the show when we have lots of back and forth and silliness. And then we turn to scripture and we treat it with, at least I'd like to think we treat it with seriousness and sobriety um, that is called for. So uh, we just want to sort of distinguish those two terms from each other, and we'll get we'll get back to you once we decide which way we want to order the word. And Bible banter, and and yeah, you're in rare form today. This is gonna be a fun show. Uh, I just I just popped open a, a Red Bull, man. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Today, today's show is going to be kind of short and sweet. We, we like to give you guys uh, lots of long marathons because we just enjoy talking about this stuff. But today we will be done well before 3 o'clock. So let's go ahead and get into the meat of the show today. Today we want to talk about the role of writing in ministry. And um, maybe the best place to start, Eric, you just released your first book. So if you're okay with this, I, I have a couple questions for you before we sort of have a broader discussion. Is that all right? Well, this was not planned for you <laughs> for you to ask me uh, about my book, but yeah, sure, man. You re you've read the book, I, I have. think. Yeah, you, don't yeah. don't worry. They're not they're not super difficult to predict. You no, because I'm not a super difficult person. I don't think. But I will. Did I tell this story last week? If I did, people tell me to be quiet. But Luke, I asked him to give a review of my book on on Amazon, and you know what he says? Like, I'm not even upset, right? I'm just astounded. He said that Amazon won't let him give a review of my book because he did not spend enough money last year on Amazon and you only had to spend $50. So like bravo to you, man, for not spending $50 in a year, in a 12 month span on Amazon. Like to me, that's unfathomable. <laughs> that's because you read books. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe if you like went on Amazon and fought, like, I don't know where you purchase your commentaries or anything like that. If you use them, but you've said that you use them to preach. Like I just purchased some commentaries for, you know, we're going to be leaving the gospel of John and we're going to read the letters of John. Um, like that in itself was like 50 bucks. So before we, <laughs> before we get into the serious part of the conversation, there is one more piece of banter I have to share because I just know it's going to break your heart and that will make, that will bring me great joy. Um, <laughs> I, I want you to know. So I have, I have this bookshelf here and then I have one over there and then I have another one 
that's over there. Man, you got a humongous office. And by the end of this week, that bookshelf there because I'm getting rid of all the other books. Why? What are you doing with with your friends? I'm giving them away because I've never read them and I don't. I'm not going to. Mm, mm, mm. Well, that's fine. I mean, if you're not going to use them, that's good. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Oh, that was a very measure. I give, I give away books all the time because I want people to read good things. Okay. Yeah. You're never going to get a bravo. Bravo. Right. Do you know wow. Mark Dever when he when he was um when he went to Capitol Hill Baptist Church? Oh, he, tell everyone who Mark Dever is because I know, but they might the not. founder of Nine Marks Ministry Ministries. It's um out of uh, Washington D.C. Very popular minister in the SBC. He's written the Nine Marks uh, series of books. A tremendous author. I encourage you to read it. Read the Nine Marks book. So it's just called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's tremendous. So, um, yeah, so Mark Dever, and when he got to Capitol Hill, he said, listen, I'm going to give away lots of books. I want a book budget for books that I'm just going to give away to people in our church. Hmm. And they gave it to him. Oh, Brian's asking which commentaries will you? Uh... So what I do when I look at commentaries, and this is just a quick aside before we get to the meat of things, is uh, I look at a couple of different websites which list the best commentaries on a particular book. And I look at the top probably three and get the top three. So I also have Logos Bible software, which a lot of commentaries came with that. Sometimes I have the best commentary or one of the top three. Uh, so I don't have to purchase those, obviously. But in there, I have also uh, background commentaries and things like that that are scholarly. So it depends. Like I have a couple of full sets behind me. But for the most part, I just purchased the top two or three in each um, on each particular book that I'm preaching on. So, all right. So the first question I wanted to ask you today is why did you write a book? And I'm not asking why you wrote the particular book, right? We're not getting into that. I just mean, why did you write a book period? Cause there are lots of people who never write a book, but you did. Yeah. So I saw there was a problem and like, so I saw there was a problem within the church and then, and I started it at my last church that I was at. So I saw there was a problem and said, why is nobody talking about this? And um, I said, well, I'm going to start talking about it. So I did start talking about it. And I'd talk about it in my church. I'd talk about it with other leaders and I'd communicate about it. And I said, but no one really listens if you're just talking about it. So why not lay out a blueprint as well? So I said, well, I guess I'll write a book. And I never thought, um, like for me, you know, it's a book, but it's really only like 45 pages. So it wasn't very, it's not very long. The one that you're editing right now is three times that size. So um, I just kind of figured I got to lay this out. I, I, I thought that I had something that I could say that nobody else was saying. Um, and when I would bring things up, when I would say, hey, because the book is, is about making disciples. Uh, someone said, well, I, never, I, I could use help in, in figuring out how I can make disciples in my life. You know, like where can you read? You know, and I find people go like the, the way you're explaining it to me makes a lot of sense but i could also use it on paper i said okay so i figured if if these ideas that i'm sharing with people and helping people walk through how to make disciples in their life um and it's not a program it's it's just a a um it's just an approach it's just a it's it's an approach to ministry it's an approach to life then I should put it on paper and give it to people. So initially I, I, I started writing it. I actually wrote the second half of the book first and I wrote it and thought, well, I'll just print this off and give it to people in my church. Um, 
maybe it'd be a blog series or something like that. But um, as I continued to write, I thought, well, why not try to do more with it? So I finished it when I got to my current church um, and I wrote it mostly in my off time. So um, yeah, here I am. So it was important. I thought it was important. It helped me clarify my own thoughts. So even as I started writing things, I started looking at it and going, Ooh, I want to tweak this. I want to say it better here. Uh, when I have other people look at it, you know, folks like yourself, although you didn't edit this book, um, they would ask clarifying questions so I could put more meat on the bones. So that was helpful. It was, it was kind of like when your dad came on the show and we talked about revital or Oh my goodness, revival, right? So when he started talking about revival and I kind of pushed back a little bit, asking some clarifying questions, he kind of sat back and went, Hey, let me, let me go back to the drawing board. And he feels so much more confident now um, in his definition of revival, his, you know, all that stuff. And he and I have communicated over the phone and, and text and I mean, man, your dad is the best man. I mean, he's really great. So putting things on paper and communicating with people and historically communications often been in written form, it can really help us clarify our own thoughts. And that's what I did in writing. So the book was as much for me as it was to hand to somebody else mm. and say, Hey, go make disciples. Yeah. I, I think uh, yeah. understanding the importance of writing within the Christian faith, it, it, it's a really sort of foundational idea, actually. And it's funny, when when you first said, like, hey, we're going to talk about this, I just sort of shrugged and said, fine, and thought, well, I'm not going to have much to say about this because I haven't written a book, don't plan to anytime soon. Um, but then I, as I was thinking about it, I realized, okay, I write a sermon every week. So there's something that that all pastors, mm -hmm. most pastors do every single week. But also there's the reality that um, writing is essential to Christian faith if you believe in the inspiration of Scripture. Be because the the yeah the Bible's written the whole exactly the whole foundation of the Christian faith was written. And so I think about Paul writing mm -hmm. the letters. I think about uh, the prophets writing down. The words from the Lord. I think about various people writing down histories, whether it was the Chronicles of the Kings or um, the, the Book of Numbers. And, it, uh, and you begin to realize that writing is really actually foundational to the Christian faith, uh, which is not to say that everyone necessarily needs to be a quote unquote writer, but um, the ability to read and write and to understand written language, it's, uh, it, it's inseparable from Christian faith, which begins to then explain, I think, why historically uh, societies that were affected by Christian faith became so literate. Mm -hmm. And it's the same yeah, so in, in the Jewish community, too. While they're not Christians, they do have scriptures. Uh, and so literacy yeah. is very important. Yeah, literacy is incredibly important. It's why we have the you know, it's why we have our statements of faith. It's why we have our catechisms and all that. This is written word. So we're communicating a message um, first and foremost through the written word. And it's important because you can look at it. You don't need someone to read it to you, although that's it's versatile, right? So you can read it aloud. You can show it. You can read it. You can do all sorts of things with it. But there's also something special that happens when you either put pen to paper or finger to keyboard. And your your thoughts become more clear um and and you have you're forced to slow down rather than just talk like you and i are just talking 
But if we had written down like everything that we're going to like a manuscript of what we were going to say today, we would probably have more cogent thoughts. We would have more, our, our thoughts would probably be more linear instead of going off on tangents, right? Now, this is a medium. We enjoy it. This is as, as edifying. It's also entertainment. Um, and re reading can be entertainment as well, but our purpose isn't the written word right here. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like if you think of, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Bickford, who's watching, might might be able to sp speak more to this. But I think, if I remember correctly, Spurgeon didn't write out his sermons. He spoke. Um, he he. Uh, what's the term I'm trying to think of? But he spoke more off the cuff after deep study in a, on a particular passage. Mm -hmm. And um, I th I think I think Palma's cracking a joke. Well, the jokes about me not reading don't literally mean that I never read anything. I just don't, <laughs> I just don't read as much as Eric. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of, so, so Spurgeon would, would preach and then someone would record what he said. And then the next day he would actually edit what that person recorded and he would edit it so that it would be published in the newspaper. So his, yeah. so his sermons got published in the newspaper and, and reached a wide uh, range of audience. Now, here's the beautiful thing that Matt points out, that the written word outlives the author. Praise God that some knucklehead put pen to paper as Spurgeon was speaking in the pulpit because it's beautiful, you know, you, and, and he goes back and edits it because now we have this treasure trove of Christian thought and we are able to be ministered to by, by the Prince of Preachers long after he is deceased. I mean, that's, that's extemporaneous. Thank you, Bickford. Thank you, Nathaniel. So, um, so extemporaneous means you just, you, you've done the study and you rely solely on the spirit to bring everything out. You might have a main point that you kind of have in the back of your mind, but essentially you're coming to the pulpit and you're, you're shooting from the hip. Um, so that, which kind of freaks me out. <laughs> uh, did great on the last cast. Some of that might be worth putting down. Thank you very much, Brian. You know, it it is it is actually really interesting. I um every once in a while, so I'll I'll share something that is gonna sound very egotistical at first. Um, but it and maybe at times it is, but I try to do it in a spirit of um accountability where I actually listen back to everything that I broadcast. So mm. every every sermon that gets recorded, every podcast that we do. I actually go listen back over to um, uh, to to sort of hear myself speaking and decide where I I could have spoken more. Um, okay, do I agree with everything that I just? Said? <laughs> so, so you doing all that makes me think. Wow, wow, you're really confident. <laughs> I don't know how you're so confident because I reread as you're editing things and other people are editing my own works. I go, man, I'm such an idiot. When I listen to myself preach or talk, I go, my goodness, why does anybody ever listen to me? Um, but, so, it, but, but, I'll, but I'll tell you a lot of my confidence, I really think actually comes from that practice mm -hmm. because I'm, uh, I'm my own most rigorous critic at all mm -hmm. times. But uh, I, I bring this up because, um, to Brian's point, sometimes I go back and I listen and I go, oh, I should write that down. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the time you quoted me and I didn't know you quoted me. I was like, oh, that sounds really good. You know, I was like, who is that? Oh, that's you. 
I'm okay. Hey, even a blind squirrel gets a nut. Now, know. what's Wolfington saying here? I have my first sermon on VHS tape, never to be seen again. Many others on cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you? So Eric, what when uh, was the first? When was the first time that you watched yourself preach? Because I remember, uh, I was so I'm so thankful now that this happened. The when I was 19 years old, I took a preaching class, uh-huh. and part of the class was that you had to record yourself preaching and then and then review it in front of the class it was horrible but but it was like one of the best exercises i've ever done it really changed the way that i uh i preach and the way that i get better at preaching i don't listen to myself anymore and i don't know how we got on this topic but we'll just go here because it seems like people want to do it i i haven't listened to myself in probably months you know maybe even longer maybe maybe a year sometimes i'll go back if i said something and i wasn't quite sure what i said and i wanted to make sure i didn't accidentally say something i shouldn't have said um so i can clarify the following week but um dude i remember the first few times i listened to myself preach and it was on video so i'd watch myself and there was a i have to explain to you when i when i joined the army right? So you have to get a physical in the army. It's not like a physical when you go to the doctor, right? If you go to the army and get a physical to enter, they have you stripped down entirely naked. And they look at every part of your body as though they are buying a car. I kid you, like, I don't want to get into detail because it's none of your business, but (laughs) you can, you can imagine the type of detail they were, if you, if you can think of it, they probably did it. Okay. It was the most humiliating. And you're standing there with like 15 to 20 other dudes. Okay. It is the most humiliating thing of my life. Second only to preaching. Okay. I would, there are times that I come down from the pulpit or come down, come down off my truck. And I go, I can't bear to look at anyone in the eyes. I felt so awful. Um, but then you have a kind saint that comes up to you and goes with tears in their eyes and says, pastor, I really sense the Lord in what you had to say or something like that. And it just lifts you back up. Mm-hmm. So I I've stopped because every time I would go back and listen to myself, I'd feel that experience all over again. So there you I'm, have I'm stunned by how many, how many pastors in the, in the comment section here, are with you on this, that it's something they almost never do. I'm, yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm really surprised by that. I think, you know why? I think it's almost like comedians, right? So comedians are often the most depressed people in the world, right? You, you see like Robin Williams seemingly, I mean, I love Robin Williams movies. I thought he was a tremendous actor. Um, you watch some of his standup. He, he's a funny guy. There was, there's a video of in the early 2000s where he went overseas and did a, a, a show for the, for the troops overseas. And then, and, um, uh, retreat sounded retreat. So in the morning is Reveille when the, when the American flag gets hoisted up and everybody on base stops, faces the flag and salutes what in retreat, you do the same exact thing. And that's the lowering of the flag. There's a, there's a short video of him in the midst of it. And he had no idea what to do. And then like afterwards, everything goes back to normal. He cracks a joke and you could just see how humble he felt in that moment and how appreciative he was. But he was also a man who battled depression his entire life. So I, I don't know this for sure. I can only speak from my, my own experience, 
But dude, I battle depression every single day. Like sometimes it is incredibly difficult for me to get out of bed in the morning. The COVID stuff has not made it any easier. Our communication like this has made it easier. Like this has actually been good for my mental health. But I imagine for pastors, pastors are so used to getting beat down oftentimes, um, which is why I can't imagine being a pastor and not being in the word of God, because you have to be sustained by it, because there are so many people that will beat you down throughout ministry, and they don't even know it. So maybe part of it is like already being down by so many other people. I don't need to beat myself down anymore by watching me preach. Mm. Now, Wolfington makes an interesting comment that there's a thin line between preaching and stand up. He, he kind of has a point that yeah. there's a lot about sort of this, this uh, it's interesting. You have here, actually, well, let's talk, let's bring up Matt's comment. Cause it's very related to this idea. Um, Matt says, bringing it back to writing, how do you balance your audience and your content as a pastor? Writing a sermon for a Sunday morning is a lot different than penning an article, articulating a certain point. I think there's, I think there's two things I want to say about this. The first is, um, while I never want to sacrifice content for the sake of an audience, I always cater it. And so the um, I'm constantly asking myself, and I, and I look, I, I have a, the congregation to which I preach is relatively well-read and educated. So it, it's not like I'm, I know every congregation is different. Um, I'm not dealing with a lot of, you know, there might be some congregations you're actually dealing even with illiterate people. I'm not dealing with a lot of that. However, um, I do try to preach to, for lack of a better term, the lowest common denominator. So, in fact, we don't even need to talk about people being unintelligent or illiterate. Let's just talk about young people, right? Mm -hmm. Let's let's say you have um, some kids in your congregation. I want to preach a sermon that a child can understand. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sacrifice uh, the biblical content and say, well, this this is just, it's too complicated or it's too difficult, so I'm just not going to say it. No, I preach everything that the scriptures say, but really, I, I it, for me, it's not even necessarily an issue of balance. I, I try to preach everything the Word of God says, but I try to preach all of it in a way that everyone in the room is going to be able to understand. Um, and I think I think there there's another interesting point here which is, you know, we said we were going to talk about writing, but we've sort of moved into preaching. I think this is one of the differences between writing and preaching is that the one piece in writing that you cannot have, that you have when you speak, is inflection. Um, and it's always interesting sort of balancing. Preaching is, is science and art, where on the one hand, it is a faith, if it's done well, it's a faithful exegesis of the text of Scripture, right? But then it's also a delivery which is pure rhetoric. Like there's not, there's no chapter and verse I can point you to that says preach this way as far as style. Yeah. So it's an interesting sort of, there's a lot of things in the balance when it comes to communicating. So in, in when we did do our two minutes of preparation for this episode, we did talk about, you know, preparing sermons in manuscripts as a way of writing for pastors, <clears throat> you know, to preach. So I think, you know, I don't, I used to write a manuscript. I don't anymore. Um, and I, and I preach differently now, uh, when I preach from the back of my pickup truck, because there's elements out there. I can't have my notes in my tablet, my iPad right there to scroll through my notes. I essentially have a very basic outline. So you have to cater that a little bit, but when I, when I write out, say a sermon, whether it's a manuscript or even my, um, 
my outline, the way I think about the the audience, those who are, and I don't like that term when it comes to preaching, but for the sake of clarity over the, you know, we're talking about different mediums of communication. I'm going to say audience that I, in the midst of application, I'm thinking of as many people that are before me as possible. So I don't necessarily, I do try to use terms and words that should be familiar I try to use common vernacular, although I'm not afraid to use theological terms and explaining them because I think that's helpful. But when it comes to writing an article, it's it, it it's different depending on the scope. So what am I trying to communicate, right? So the last article I think I wrote was for Advent Christian Voices, and it was about cigars, right? So it was about, and it really wasn't about cigars. It was about the holiness culture that um, surrounds evangelicalism that I think is misguided. And, and, and not necessarily biblically based. So it was written towards um, a specific audience, those essentially to kind of call those who have an unhealthy view of holiness and say, hey, you really need to think through your view. Um, I, and I was pretty bold in that. When I'm preaching, depending on what the topic is, I might go about it differently. I would also go about writing something differently to a fellow pastor than I would to a congregate, to a church yeah. member. So like for you, I might be more harsh with another pastor than I would be with a congregate on right. the same topic. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and we might use different language because yes. we sort of have this common understanding of various terms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were going to talk about writing, but it's sort of morphing towards preaching. Uh, um Brian, Brian, this three points wrap up and try to bring it back to Jesus. I certainly agree with wrap up and bring it back to Jesus. I'll tell you, Eric, I've never really been a big fan of like the every sermon has to have three points philosophy because I would actually rather let the text itself determine the point. I think anytime we're trying to stuff um, a passage into a a system or a formula, there are going to be times when we actually do a disservice to the text itself. My question is how many points did the author make? That's yeah. the ones I want to make. Yeah. And I, I'm with you. Like, I want to see what the text says. And then, you know, I'm trying to shape what I'm saying based off the text. Exactly. So, so I'm not trying to shape the text. The text is shaping me mm-hmm. and, and in shaping me, it shapes what I'm going to communicate. Most often I probably do have somewhere between three and five points, so to speak, but it all relates to a larger point. Ah. I, I tinkle, I, I not tinkle. <laughs> I think speaking of the importance of language and which words you use. Yeah. So I do tinker with um with my approach sometimes because I'm still, you know, I've only been a minister, I've only been a senior pastor man preaching every week for almost two years. So um, you know, I realize there's so there's more that I don't know than what I do know. So I need to be nimble in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what, though? Uh, you said something important, which I am a stickler about in, in preaching, which is um, the single point. And it, so sermons can have a certain any any number of sub points. But I think the the best prepared sermons are the ones that actually communicate with one idea. Um, and admittedly, some of some of that some of that actually begins before you even write the sermon. <laughs> 
Oh man, how do we how do we get through an episode? This is why our episodes run so long <laughs> because of these comments. I just need to share some of these. Mike, Alex, if your points are not in acronym, in, in acronym form, it does not qualify as a sermon. <laughs> Glenn's is awesome. Never tinkle in writing; you'll end up wet. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I need I, man. It is great to 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 hear that, but. Go on. I'm sorry. Why? I don't even know what you were saying. No, in my opinion, these are the best episodes we have because I enjoy them. The, as much as I enjoy serious discussion with you, I can read these comments all day. <laughs> um, Just don't I, tinkle during the sermon, I guess. No, my point was, um, if you want to talk about sub points, you know, whatever number, whatever number is necessary to honor the text is fine. But I think the best prepared sermons actually have one idea. And you might hammer it from a couple different, uh, you know, angles. I've just found that both in my learning and in my teaching. And look, I I will admit this is one of the hardest parts of preaching. So when we preach, we take all this. We we if we're preparing well, we absorb probably anywhere between like two and four hours of information. Where if we were just to spout off everything we know about the text we you'd be there a long time the hardest part of preaching but what i think is maybe the most important part is you basically like it's like taking an apple and putting it through an apple core and when you're done all that's left is the core and um we never want to do a disservice to the text right to just ignore things that are there for the sake of our point but i do think once we understand the main point of a text that should be what drives our sermon and we need to try as much as possible to for that to be the the only thing driving our sermon. I, honestly, I think some sometimes we do ourselves and our congregation a tremendous disservice by making five or six ancillary points that completely detract from the purpose of the message. Yeah. Um, it, well, I think part of that, like I want to be charitable with our brothers <clears throat> um, who 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 preach because there's so many critics out there, and it's hard. Like I think about it. Um, probably more often than I'd like to admit about, man, if I don't bring this up, is someone going to come up to me and be like, Hey pastor, did you think of this? Or like, for some reason, I think some Bible college or seminary professor is going to watch my sermon online and be like, you forgot to mention bloody blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to go, Oh yeah, you're right. If I would have read that textbook the right way, or if I would have done my assignment correctly, I would, I would have realized this. So I wonder if part of that of like giving absolutely everything you can about the text does knowing that it detracts from the point, maybe we're trying to please man rather than um, to, to proclaim God. So that's it. It's challenging, man. Preaching is one of the toughest things in ministry. It's one of the most joyous things, but one of the most difficult and why it's helpful for us to write down what we're going to say, whether it's in a manuscript or an outline. Clint, you know, brings up a good point. He says, I find that writing out my sermon helps clarify my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What I write on Sunday or Monday for the following week, I tweak throughout the week um, to make it so that it all fits, like the phrasing fits with, you know, if it's three points, all three points f- are phrased properly so that they show how they point to the main point of, mm-hmm. of the sermon. So it's a challenge. It's hard. And to Brian's point, 
listen, Jesus says that the entire all the scriptures point to him. So I don't I don't think the the preachers are are the ones jumping through hoops with mental gymnastics trying to get it back to Jesus. I think maybe you well, or others who don't think it points to Jesus are well, I, I, think, I think Bickford's point is actually maybe a, a stronger response. He says, I don't generally try to see bring the sermon back to Jesus. My goal is to have Jesus woven throughout. I think that's a really great point. That if, if we if we believe that every text of scripture does in fact point to Jesus and we are doing textual preaching, then there shouldn't be any gymnastics required. It's no. just an issue of of having a gospel understanding of everything that we read. It's like if you put the filament over things properly, right? So the New Testament is a filament over the Old Testament so we can properly understand it, then I mean, it's all about Jesus. It's not mental gymnastics. It's not like you look through the text. Like I'm on Wednesday nights, I'm preaching through Ezra and Nehemiah. Like yeah. I look at that and go, I don't have to perform any mental gymnastics about how it points to Jesus. I mean, it points to uh, God's new covenant people. It points to the covenant people, you know, the old covenant people and the new covenant people. And how are the new covenant people redeemed? Mm. By Jesus. That's not mental gymnastics. That's the text. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I'm going to bring it back to writing here before we have to wrap things up. Uh, okay. I just had a personal epiphany as, as we were doing this. Uh, yeah, just the comments about people feeling um, uh, comfortable or uncomfortable about hearing or watching themselves. I realized the reason that um, I view this so differently than many of the other pastors is because I was a musician first. I was a musician first. And so like, that's a really important thing for a musician to do is to actually be able to hear what the sound they're producing and, and criticize it. However, also, I think the reason that I tend not to write articles or books is because I'm always writing songs. Mm. And, and uh, I, I wonder, so if maybe there are some people listening right now who think like, why well, I, I couldn't write a sermon or I couldn't write an article you could write a poem about Jesus. You could write a song about him, you know, write a prayer. Write, write prayers. There was a time where I used to write, I used to write prayers. I, I think maybe at some point I'll probably get back to doing that because it helps. It helps. The, the best thing is it helps you slow down and really think through your thoughts hmm. and it forces you to come to grips with who you truly are and what you're truly feeling and what you truly think. Hmm. So, you know, and Hey, just an, an encouragement to pastors out there write sermons. Uh, you can always use your sermons as great ways to come back to and send them years later to your church's articles or something like that, or publish them in some other way. Um, because here's the thing, the, the Advent Christian denomination used saturated the market with its writing at one point. Tom Logry is saying a big amen at this point. That's how, that's one of the reasons why we um, grew so rapidly in, at the, in the, 1800s publications as time has gone on we've slowed down in publications Hmm. and i mean you have to saturate the market with your unique voice and we have a unique voice as advent christians that needs to be brought into the greater evangelical circles to communicate um particularly good orthodox voices uh, i'd hope um but it's also encouraging right? So like, all right, last week I published a book. 
I mean, I've had, I've had a number of people reach out and say, man, I really appreciate your book. Your dad. I mean, I feel like your dad, he finds it his life's goal to, to, to put a quote of from my book on his Facebook page every day. And I can't, I can't tell you how encouraging that is um, to have someone find um, joy in what they're, what they're reading. And, and I wrote that. So, and I don't say that in a self-aggrandizing way, but I see that I'm encouraging him. I'm helping him think through a certain aspect of ministry. And I hope that other people are as well, but we need other people. Like I think, I, like I think uh, about Nathaniel Bickford, he's been on here. He and I have talked. I would love for him to write some great material. He writes other great material. I would love for him to continue to do it because I benefit greatly from, he helps me understand things theologically in ways that when I approach him, um, I'm always edified afterwards. I need him to write stuff. I need you to help uh, share with me through the written word about the importance of music because I'm not musically inclined and I need help to understand. Um, we need uh, each other to be encouraging one another. And I think one of the best means, if not the best means, is the written word. Hmm. Now, I have one more question for you before we wrap this this thing up. Um, no, no, no. Brian, we want the heretics writing so that we can refute them. So heretics, please write. Um, no, I, I don't want her- No, Brian's right. I mean, Brian is Brian's right. I don't want the heretics writing. You want the writing? Um, well, I don't want there to be confusion. But with, right? But with right? That, I, I don't want to be now it's different if if Brian were to it'd be different if Brian or another non-Trinitarian or, or someone else in that realm writes an article to you and I or or a letter and saying, brothers, address these concerns. Here's my issues. Let's talk about this. And we did the same thing, right? I mean, we see that in the Reformation. Those were healthy debates. But here's the thing. We live in a, in a time where things spread so quickly on social media and other ways that um, people confuse bad information for good information. And um, I don't, I'm already trying to tell people to stay away from certain books and materials because there's so much garbage out there. I don't need anyone else writing more garbage for me to tell them to stay away from it. See, I, I think Arius is one of God's gifts to the church because it's, it was that whole debate that brought us Nicaea. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want the church without Nicaea. Yeah. That was also almost 2000 or almost 1700 years ago. Right. So, but, but doesn't the principle still apply that when the, that we can only, we can only refute what has been clearly expressed. I think those things have been clearly expressed, but to your point, I will admit, all right. Yeah. Write them, but I'm not widely distributing it in my church. I'm just <laughs> like, I'm not, I, cause I don't want to confuse my people. I guard, I look at my role and say, I am accountable before the Lord for anything that I say or share with my congregation. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for that teaching. So if somebody else comes into my church and has all this heretical teaching and we don't stamp it out, that's on me. I have to give an account. If that's something that led a believer away from the faith, man, I, oh, I, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation with God. I, to me, the shame would be unbearable. Let me, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm derailing us. Now I'm the problem. Uh, we can't blame the comment section anymore. It's my fault. Okay. I want to ask you one more thing. Actually, you know what? feel like we should save this for another day um 
Something for well, us. Well, we got a few minutes. To, to, what is it? Okay. So I'm curious what you think, because because you're sharing a lot right now about the writing process and how it's best when it when it's done collectively, that you have editors and people who. I'm curious if you've ever tried a um, a group approach to sermon writing, because I'll tell you, um, one of one of the best. You know, I had an experience a couple months ago where, in my sermon, I was talking about. <clears throat> um the end the end times and the age to come and talking about going to heaven and then someone in my church um who's who's really theologically well educated he found he found me after the service and very gently said like hey i feel like it would have been better if you'd said god brought heaven to us since that's what the scripture teaches and i was like oh wow and uh, thank you next time i'm gonna use that kind of language um and uh, the pastor of the church that I worked at before I got hired here, he actually met weekly with a group that helped him in writing experiments. So, so Mark Dever does that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, of- does, he does that Saturday mornings. He gets together with a few, um, I think, pastoral interns and, uh, and gets with them. And he talks about the application of the sermon and they go back and forth. And he said it's been very edifying. Yeah, man, I would love to do that. Um, maybe sometime I will. I don't think I'm prepared to do that quite yet. Hmm. It does. It does require a lot more advanced planning. The way the way that I've sort of fallen into writing sermons of late, I don't think I would be able to include a group like that because they'd have to meet on Saturday night, and that's just not realistic. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, and and I love the comments that are there. You know, the importance of 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 writing the importance of study. I mean, just giving pastors the opportunity to read good works um, and engage with poor works too. Right. So we should be reading things that we disagree with things that not just things that we disagree with, but things that might even be heretical. Right. Um, So that we can engage, we can know what the arguments are out there because your pastor is first and foremost, a shepherd an under shepherd who is called to minister in prayer and in ministry of the word. Those are the two most important things in over in oversight. Yes. So, you know, of course, visitation is important. That makes it more challenging under COVID. Um, but because I, I think it's hard to minister to people in prayer and minister to the word if you're not spending time with them. Mm. But sometimes administrative tasks and all those other things, something is going to suffer. Yeah. You know, so. I, I, I want to make one more comment in response to Brian, and then that'll be the last thing I say today. Brian. It's not about content. It's about expression. I really believe that. I think everything that could be said absolutely has been said, but it must be said in a new way to each generation. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say anything new about the nature of Christ, God, or salvation. But uh, as culture changes, language changes, the need arises with every generation to say the same firm, unchanging truths in new forms of expression. And that's why we continue to write. Uh, amen, Josh Rice. He puts up, he, he says, perhaps most of the time spent getting our people to not read certain books would be remedied by promoting and leading them into the book. I could not agree more. And the book, the book being, um, being go teaching all that Jesus commands. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> 
I'm so sorry. I could not help myself. Let let the record show this is the first time in the history of the show that I can rightly threaten to burn Eric at the stake instead of the other way around. I'm so sorry. That that was funny though. Um, <laughs> no, Josh, so that's the perfect. That's the perfect closing comment. It brings us back to Bible. It brings us back to. I have nothing to add. Yeah, I absolutely Spurgeon. Again, I'm so glad that we have his writings and what he had to say. He said to uh, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Hmm. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Amen to that. Dude, I think all too often I live in other books and visit the Bible all too often. So I think, I think, Brian's admonition is is on point when he says everything has already been written in a way and we have to be reminded to you know it's easy for guys who are theologically minded like you and I um to get to to fall into a false sense of security of man look at how smart I am because I'm reading this book or that book mm. and then you look and you go man I'm not spending enough time in the word now I'm saying right now like I'm living in the word right now, but there are times where I can, uh, where I can stray from the path and, and I'm reading too much of other things. Now those things are edifying, but they have their place. No, that's good. That's good. Visit other books, live in the Bible. I can't. Charles I can't, Spurgeon. I can't Charles Spurgeon, Eric Reynolds, just like in the office, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, y'all kept us on our toes today. We didn't really talk about what we intended to, but no, I think we should talk about, so, we haven't been able to get our guest on for Thursday that we thought we would. I mean, we just haven't um, heard back from him. So why don't we schedule Thursday? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at, you know, a lot of people, when I shared about my own struggles with depression, they, um, they shared their own. So I don't think we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about depression yet. Have we? No, no, that, that, that would be a great subject for us to address. And then, then you'll just have to send me your bill of how much, you know, uh, you charge for counseling. As I just lay on you all the <laughs> everything on my heart. I, I I think when it comes to you and me, it's a pretty even exchange. Yeah. So um yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thank you for spending the time on vacation with us. It's a joy. Um Hey. He's a good brother. Quick comment before we go. I appreciate you guys. Um, and I honestly really appreciate your participation in this. I love talking to Eric. And I would do it whether or not we were streaming. Um, but getting the chance to interact with all of you, too, I, I think, you know, this episode is about writing. This comment section is a perfect example of why it's so valuable, because it's through the written word that you challenge and test our ideas mm-hmm. uh, for, for truth, for clarity. And I appreciate I appreciate you guys, all of you. Yeah, I, in fact, I think, you know, um, Tom and I were talking about the how many viewers we get on Facebook versus iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts. By the way, go uh, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. But it's interesting because he and I were talking. We think the thing that is unique about Bible and banter, and um, is that <laughs> is that we have the participation of the audience through it. So I, I think that's really cool. We've kind of found a little niche or niche, however you pronounce it. And um, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I love, I love engaging with everybody from across the country. So. Well, thank y'all. We'll uh, we'll see you on Thursday. And what about the catechism? 
Do we have time? You said you had to roll. By yeah, like... yeah. Let's just do it. Let's let's do it, man. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love the catechism. Okay. Luke. Yes. Question for you. Mm-hmm. Where did God place Adam and Eve? In the garden. In the Garden of Eden. That's the closest you've ever been, man. That's pretty good. I, I thought this was going to be my week. You're not bad for a guy that doesn't read. So Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, I found this interesting. As I go through, I, I think I've said this before, that I write, jot down a little, some notes as I go through. And I wrote, The Garden is where man rejected God. And where he would betray God at the garden with Jesus. Say that again. So the garden is where man rejected God. And where he would betray God, meaning Judas Iscariot, at the garden by handing over Jesus. Because it was at, it was in a garden. I have never made the connection between Eden and Gethsemane. That is fascinating. Yeah. The more you know. The more you know. But it's amazing. To me, it's amazing. The rejection of God and then the handing over or betrayal of God all happened in a garden. I don't I don't know if there's theological significance to that, um, but it's it's interesting for sure. Hmm. Just goes to show don't garden people. Garden gardenings for weirdos. Uh in fairness, there will also be a garden in the end of all things. Uh it mentions two trees across a river, so maybe we shouldn't just throw out babies with bathwater here. Why would you throw the baby out? You sound like Planned Parenthood. I'm saying you're doing that. You sound like Planned Parenthood. By rejecting gardening. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> Mike, I, I do my best, man. I just can't, you know, there's no, Eric is um, his own man. You can't, there's no taming him. There's no uh, controlling him. He's going to do his thing, and I'm just along for the ride. I, I don't know if that's a, uh, that sounds like a bad thing. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. All right, y'all. I'm going to try to end things a sixth time now. Have a great afternoon. Hey, Luke, wait, one last thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you are encouraging. See you guys. <laughs>